You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored in part by Forest Pharmaceuticals. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a certified medical director in long-term care. Is culture change beneficial to most long-term care facilities, or are there benefits to keeping the traditional model? Is it challenging to implement culture change ideas in a facility that has operated under a traditional model for decades? Joining us to discuss culture change is Dr. Karen Leibel, Chief Clinical Officer for Opinion Management, a long-term care management and consulting firm in Lakewood, Colorado. Dr. Leibel is also Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center in Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Dr. Leibel. Thank you, Dr. Tangulos. First off, tell us what culture change is. Is this an idea in only long-term care facilities, or is it an idea being applied in other care settings as well? It started off somewhat in the long-term care setting, and I would even go back further. I think it started off with the hospice movement back in 1974 when hospice patients um, patients were dying in the hospital and people found that they really wanted to be at home and they were brought home, and that's how the hospice movement was was born. And subsequently, we found that making care be more person-centered was something that was quite desirable, not only for those that were dying, but for those that were living as well. So having person-centered care be in the home, there are home care programs where person-centered care is being delivered, or in the long-term care arena, that's basically what the culture change movement has done. It's just bringing us back to the realization that we need to be thinking more about the individual, the resident, the elder, the patient, whatever term you want to use, and what care means for that individual, not what we as medical professionals or as institutions want to impose upon that individual. So there's less institutionalization? Correct. And what else? What happens to the physical plant? You know, so much of when I think of culture change and before I joined this organization, you'd think about the plants and animals and the intergenerational programming with having children or daycares present on the facilities. But that's just what that is. That's just programming. That really isn't what culture change is all about. It's really the move away from the institutional setting into truly more home-like environments. We have regulations that ask us to provide our residents of long-term care with a home-like environment where you bring in pictures or you bring in personal items. But really what culture change does is it's not just bringing in a picture or having a plant or an animal. It's really changing the environment to make it more person-centered. Now, does it de-emphasize the medical care and treatment that we've been providing to these uh, residents at the facilities? Absolutely not. And if we think about it, the medical care, our patients get their medical care at home all the time. They have treatments and medications. When they're in their home environment, they choose to take when to take their medications, much to our chagrin sometimes. They choose when to do a medical treatment. And the same thing happens in a long-term care environment. The medical care is a part of the whole program that we're providing, the whole person-centeredness. It doesn't take away from who they are or the care that we're providing. It's a part of the care. Well, you know, our facility is person-centered now. It's made that transition, and there are big changes that have happened. Share with our audience some of those big uh, structural changes that you might find when you walk into a facility. 
You know, our facilities, we have 13 managed homes, and seven of our 13 managed homes are actually Eden certified. And you can tell when you walk through the door, they're all very different. I have one home, you walk through the door, and it's very full of life. There's lots of plants, and the rooms to the resident rooms, it's interesting. They have doorbells, so before you enter a resident room, you have to ring a doorbell. They have porch lights, so instead of seeing the typical light, nurse call light, you see a porch light go on, and that lets you know that the resident or the elder needs, needs assistance. Some of our other homes are a bit more quieter, um, more serene when you walk through. Um, mostly you just see more life. They're happier places. They're more calm if, if that's what the residents or the elders in that facility look for in their home. They actually have a say in what their home looks like and what it's going to present to the, to the outside world or to those that aren't involved in the home environment. So the facilities really take on the personality of the people that are living there. Right. Again, person-centered. They have an opportunity to say. They can say what color they want their room painted. They can say what they want in their room. They have an opportunity. We no longer have nurses' stations and the typical units. They now are called neighborhoods. And every neighborhood would be different. And it takes on the personality of not only the residents and the elders in that neighborhood, but also the caregivers in that neighborhood. Everybody becomes involved in what that neighborhood and what that neighborhood structure is going to be like. You know, what, what are we going to name our neighborhood? If they have a pantry, what kind of snacks are we going to have in our neighborhood? If they have an animal, what are we going to name our animal, whether it be a bird or or a dog or a cat? But the residents and the elders have as much say and input into their environment as does the staff and the facility. Well, we made some big changes in meal service. Why don't you tell our audience about the changes that can occur in the dining experience? The dining experience, again, it has a lot to do with what the elders in those communities are looking for, but no longer is it institutionalized where people are getting being gotten up at 6 in the morning to be down at the breakfast by 7 a.m. and the meal is being served from 7 to 9. And if you're not there or you don't make it there, you don't basically get to eat what everyone else does. A lot of facilities, what they do now is they may offer a continental breakfast starting maybe at 6 in the morning, going till about 8 or 9, where they offer fruit juice and cereals, donuts, or muffins, whatever. And then they'll have a brunch starting about 9 or 10 a.m., which is more of a hot breakfast. Again, people can come and go to eat their meals when they choose to. Lunch starts a little bit later, and usually there may be a soup or a salad bar. The residents have an opportunity to choose what entrees they want as they go through a, a food service line. Then in the evening, usually in the evening, it's more of a light, a sandwich. But if somebody wants something different, then they have something different. Many of the homes, one of my homes actually has a diner. We call it Mary's Diner. And the food is made to order. In the morning, they can have made-to-order eggs. In the afternoon, they can have hamburgers or hot dogs if that's what they choose. So no longer are we telling people what they're going to eat and when they're going to eat it. They have an opportunity to eat when they choose to and to have what they want. Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Eric Tangelos, and joining me to discuss culture change is Dr. Karen Leibel, Chief Clinical Officer for Pinion Management, a long-term care management and consulting firm in Lakewood, Colorado. Dr. Leibel is also Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center in Denver, Colorado. 
Karen, we were discussing how the impact has been on your residents. Tell us about how they feel emotionally with all these changes. When you listen to the residents, they feel empowered. And that's a big part of what culture change is, is we are empowering our residents to make decisions about their health care, about their person, about when they get up, when they eat, when they bathe, but they feel empowered. It's a happier place. When you look at some of the principles, from example, the Eden Alternative, many residents in long-term care in the past have suffered from boredom, helplessness, and loneliness. And with the use of culture change by bringing more of a person-centered care, we eliminate boredom, we eliminate helplessness, and we eliminate loneliness. Now, you have to reorganize your staffing as well. So how do these long-term care facilities organize their staff for the culture change activity? Actually, I find that to be the most exciting part of culture change is that with the neighborhoods, they now are self-directed work teams. You still have your nurses, you still have your certified nursing assistants, housekeeping, but everybody is a part of that neighborhood and they take ownership in that neighborhood. And what a lot of time, which, which you'll see in the person-centered um, environments is there's cross-training. So you could have a housekeeper who's also been cross-trained to be a CNA. So the residents no longer have to wait. For example, if they need to get up and there's need for two people, the certified nursing assistant could ask the housekeeper to help them get that resident up and, and attend to their needs. So there's a lot of cross-training. The staff actually make their own schedule. So they have buy-in into their community. What they're doing and what they're bringing to their elders are things that they have chosen to do so that they're much more focused on the care that they're providing. Well, when you cross-train, you certainly must have significant changes that occur in the way staff interact to other staff, staff interact towards residents, and even families interacting towards staff and residents. I mean, clearly, it's sort of, you know, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. You begin to understand, actually, what others do and what their roles are and appreciate their roles. It's no longer from the top down. And so often I've, I've walked in and needed assistance with a resident and have asked a nurse to help me, an RN, and RN said, I'll get the CNA to help you. Well, I used to be an RN. I'm not averse to helping myself and helping that resident up. I'm not sure why we need a CNA. Well, in a culture change environment, that doesn't happen. The RN is just as likely to come in to help you as the CNA or the housekeeper that's there and, and available. That's very nice. It's, it's also nice to see the sick role of the resident fall into the background. Now, how are your physicians and your medical directors integrated as part of the caretaking team? You know, it's really important for them to be on board. Because like I said, medical care is a part of the overall care of the residents, no longer the focus. And the physician staff and the medical director need to have a good understanding of what that means. It doesn't mean that we're not going to give them their medications, but, for example, perhaps we can learn to order medications so that they're three times a day or twice a day and not scheduled around meals so that we can give some flexibility treatments, if we can have flexibility in, in how treatments are ordered. But even more so, the medical uh, director and the attending staff are a part of the team. They will know who to go to. They can go to any member of that neighborhood team and ask them about how that resident is doing. 
and then have an understanding, a better understanding, so they can provide better care in terms of the day-to-day interactions that that resident is having with the staff. Have things changed? Do we need to be concerned about an infection? You know, are they doing particularly well? Do we think that a medication is working? Because everybody is a part of the team. The medical staff is also a part of that team and integrated as much into the self-directed work team as the other members of the staff. So have your medical directors bought into the concept pretty well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Our medical directors are all very much involved with our culture change. They help to promote it to the community. They're very proud of their of their homes. When we sort of have one point, we're trying to make some shifts in medical directors in our homes, and they're very attached. They don't want to leave their homes. This is my home, and I've been a part of it since its beginning, and no, I don't want to shift to another home. I want to stay here. They, they bond with the community, they bond with the staff, and they bond with the families. A lot of what this person-centered care is is, is development of relationships. It's just as important for our medical staff and our medical directors to develop those relationships with the community and with the residents and with the families and the staff as anyone else involved in the culture change movement. So with some of the community outreach activities, are you bringing in uh, multi-generational activities, uh, children showing up every once in a while? Yes, it's actually sort of... I'm so I sort of hesitate because that's never been an, an issue. The children are always involved. They're always welcome to come into the, into the homes. They're actually very excited to come into the homes. There was one home in Pueblo, Colorado that had a, um, I visited many years ago that had a daycare on site. And I'll never forget watching four- or five-year-old bouncing a balloon back and forth with an Alzheimer's resident who was pretty much chair-bound and really didn't have a lot of interaction with the environment but yet truly was involved in bouncing this balloon back and forth with this four-year-old. I'd like to thank my guest from the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center, Dr. Karen Leibel. Dr. Leibel, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thank you, Dr. Tangelis. You've been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA and sponsored in part by Forest Pharmaceuticals. For more information about this or any other ReachMD radio show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening. The American Medical Directors Association, AMDA, was founded in 1975 and today is the only national organization representing long-term care physicians and professionals. Our members care for patients in long-term care settings, including nursing homes, assisted living, hospice, and home care. AMDA has distinguished itself nationally with evidence-based, pragmatic solutions for effective practice in long-term care settings. AMDA members are experts in the long-term care field who will address today's most relevant clinical and practice management issues. The 2009 AMDA core curriculum on medical direction in long-term care will take place in Miami, Florida in July and in Long Beach, California in September. To learn more and register for the AMDA core curriculum or other AMDA meetings, visit www.amda.com. And be sure to listen each week for Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, a weekly series exploring the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in long-term care medicine practice with host Dr. Eric Tangelos, exclusively on ReachMD.